everybody. Welcome to episode 51 of the Ohio Virtual Academy Music Appreciation Podcast. And you know, after 51 times, you'd think I'd get used to saying that. I still have to slow down every time I say it because it's a lot of words. So anyway, uh, this is episode 51. And um, at the time of recording this, well, actually, I'm already off because I didn't introduce my co-host. This is already starting very well. Jeremy England, how are you today? <laughs> I'm well, thank you. I was just along for the ride. You could have taken the whole thing. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I was telling Jeremy beforehand, I'm very caffeinated. Um, it's it's a cold morning here, and so I've been refilling the coffee. So I'm going to apologize to everybody listening because I am a little bit on the high-strung side, more than usual this morning. So, um, but, <laughs> but so yes, I forgot to introduce Jeremy. That's how we're starting off. <clears throat> um, so... As I said, it's a cold morning here. It's the beginning of February, and um, we I have been kind of like, I'm going to go off on a tangent here for a minute, everybody, but I have been um, thinking a lot lately about diversity and inclusion and what that looks like, and not just, you know, the in terms of this podcast, but about the world in general, and as a music teacher... Um, I think about this a lot for my students. I think about this um, in terms of the curriculum. And when we got to the beginning of February, as you probably already know, it's Black History Month um, in the United States. And so we take this month to kind of look back um, on the historical um, influences and historical stories of um, African-Americans and black people. Apologize, frog in my throat. Um, and so, um, and it's 2021, we've been through a lot at this point, and um, I think this has just been circulating in my mind. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not really versed in this. Uh, this is not an area of specialty for me, and although I try and learn, um, but I wanted to just kind of take some time and talk about this, and maybe as the month goes, we'll talk about um, some black musicians maybe you don't know about, or some historical stuff that maybe you've never heard about. And I approached Jeremy about maybe trying to do like a mini, I don't know if mini series is the right word, but taking some time this month to just maybe talk about some stuff we normally wouldn't. Um, So that's the point of today's episode is I just wanted to kind of take a look at it and have a conversation about what diversity and inclusion looks at, looks like in music. And and I I should say, too, this also comes to my mind because of um, something I said at the end of episode 48, which was um, the episode where we talked about my role with the symphony. And the last thing Jeremy asked me was, what do you want people to know about music or about classical music or the symphony or, you know, what, what was what's one takeaway you have that you would tell everybody? And my answer to him at the time was that the symphony is for everybody and that music is for everybody. And I keep hearing myself say that. And I said this a couple of weeks ago now, but I kept, I keep hearing my own voice say that. And I'm trying to figure out ways to make sure that's a reality. Um, do, and, and does everybody even know that? Does everybody realize that music can be for everybody? I think people think maybe it's not always true. Um, that that people think that certain types of music aren't for them. And my hope is that people realize that's just, you can, you can listen to any type of music. You can be involved in any type of music. I would never want somebody, especially you listener, to think that you can't be a part of a musical tradition or a musical style um, based on who you are. That, that to me is super hurtful. And as a music educator, I, I just can't sit on that. I don't feel good morally about sitting and thinking that people think that. Um, I, I just can't. So <laughs> basically, um, the point is, when I, I really want to talk about this. When I started working on the outline for this, I ended up with more questions than answers. And I was telling Jeremy, you know, like, I just felt like I couldn't, this topic is so big and so complex, and there's so many different avenues to go down. Um, I couldn't really get all my thoughts on a road and, like, get it on the straight and narrow. And uh, I jokingly say in the 
in the show notes. Basically, Daphne is going to ask a bunch of questions because her brain spun out here. And this is pretty true. So um, I appreciate you all coming along for the ride because I don't know exactly how this episode's going to go. And I told this to Jeremy. Um, but I just want to have a conversation about it. So I'm going to stop for a second, let Jeremy respond. But I just wanted to, I just felt this was super important and I wasn't sure how to start or where to start. And Bless, bless you, Jeremy, for taking this ride with me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be able to do so. And uh, it is important. Uh, well, I, I want to p- validate two things. One, it's good. We're talking about this, and it's good that you're thinking about this. Uh, and it is a difficult topic. Even in this uh, intro, you know, you could just tell kind of how your brain is just scattered all over the place, even in their little introduction of like, what does this mean for us, especially as two white people, to talk about inclusion in music uh, in the roles that we have? Because it is difficult, and it's pretty amazing how what you say and how like saying it out loud. So classical music is for everybody. You know, even saying those words out loud uh, can stop you a little bit and make you actually question if that is true. And I think what you're getting at part of this is. Classical music can be for everybody, but it can't be for everybody at the expense of other cultures and other styles of music being disregarded. And I think that's kind of what this um, this episode will begin to explore and begin to unpack. And uh, I hope that we have been, uh, not to pat ourselves too much on the back, I don't think, but this conversation has been going on actually for a long time before this episode has uh come to fruition and maybe that's part of this like release your feeling you know but <laughs> yeah um, and you and I have had these conversations yeah. just as colleagues about what our what courses look like or trends in music education and um just as personal like we know each other personally too and yeah. so we know where we stand on certain things and I think I just feel that this is this has become important to both of us I think yeah and is as we're entering into this conversation, this is for us as a warning, but also other people, that we do so not uh, in a way to um, rescue music education or to um, to save it, you know, because we're yeah. valiant white knights. But we, Correct. a lot of this really, and a lot of education is really just kind of exposing ourselves first to the world that's already out there and then sharing that with other people or uh, the best way is to make space for other people to share. And as we talk about um, like our roles as teachers and educators, we have this place of privilege that we really control the knowledge that students are being exposed to in our content. So English teachers, you know, you are you expose kids to whatever you think is necessary. Uh, or, you know, the state says, but you have some say in it, you know, more than you think that you do. Uh, science uh, is a little bit more strict, but music, the the arts and humanities, you know, we have, we're the gatekeepers of what students are exposed to at an official capacity. So uh, that is a place of great responsibility, and it's a place of uh, great privilege to be able to control the narrative in a lot of ways. And if you're not conscious Conscience, uh, conscious of it and aware of it, of your own bias and your own uh, or what is being provided to you to provide to kids, it's very easy to perpetuate and continue on in a system that doesn't always represent uh, the world or even our own classroom. So beginning this conversation is very important and needed and it's happening a lot, not just with us, but uh, I mean, our school, you know, Prop Star School has taken a, taken a concentrated effort in uh, being aware of diversity and working that into our curriculum. Uh, The the more colleagues I'm talking to, the more that they are open to these discussions. There are more groups I'm seeing in posts on Facebook and other social media that is trying to address and understand this world of education. And as I was listening to somebody talk about it, like education is a relatively young field. Um, If you think about it, like the way that we have education today, the way that we teach students today is not old at all. And we still are figuring out a lot of what it means to be a teacher. <laughs> it might seem like an old profession, but there's still a lot of room for conversation. And I hope that in 2021, where a, a lot of most people or a 
good portion of people are, are aware that the white culture, Western European culture specifically, is not the dominant culture in terms of artistic expression and stuff like that. So That's really well said. And I want to point out something you said there at the beginning of, of um, your little uh, talk there. Uh, you know, we're not trying to save music education. Um, I, 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 I don't, that kind of say, first of all, I don't know if it's a saving thing. We're just talking about that discussion, but that kind of idea of quote unquote, for lack of a better word, saving music education, that it would be a gigantic, uh, task and, and many people would have to be involved. It would have to be a huge collaborative Herculean effort, what we're really just talking about is acknowledging what we see and maybe trying to find some different, you know, some other ways to um, share different types of music and um, address how we were even trained as teachers, because we're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, how we're trained to teach um, has some racist stuff in it sometimes. Maybe that maybe yeah. maybe not saying it that way, but I I don't know. Well, no, I stand by that. I stand by that. <laughs> actually, I do. Um, so I guess the first thing we have to talk about is, you know, everybody talks about well, everybody has music. Every culture has music somehow. So isn't that in and of itself already diverse or inclusive? I would argue not really or not always, at least. Um don't like aren't there genres that we think that are more for certain people than others you know we i'll i'll use uh, you know the european tradition that's a lot of old white dudes and um we don't think of that as diverse but that doesn't mean there weren't people of color writing at those times yeah we did a whole episode right on uh yeah uh, George, St. George, Joseph. It was a French name that I could not say. Um, <laughs> the Ch Chevalier de Saint George. Man, Joseph. you're so good. Look at you. You're really good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you're right. Like, it's like when you say that music is inclusive and it, like, you know, everybody has music. Yeah. But everybody has a language, right? But it doesn't mean that we're speaking the same thing or we're understanding each other. Like it does exist everywhere, <laughs> but, um, and part of this, part of the hard thing when we talk about inclusiveness and diversity and, and trying not to pigeonhole people into particular genres or stuff like that is, is recognizing that, um, there is a history and a tradition behind every style of music, but that doesn't have to be what it is going forward, right? We're going to talk later a little bit about gatekeeping um, and, and training, but like just because there is classical music or classical music is the dominant style of music in conservatories and higher education um, doesn't mean that we have to get rid of that all and tear it down. Um, but it, it does help us to to like what you have here next is um, identifying stereotypes and addressing those and being aware of those and understanding the historical perspective um, and where music comes from. This even came up last week a little bit in the didgeridoo episode. Uh, if you remember, yeah. we talked about uh, the gatekeeping and people like Hal Leonard, right, was it, that said empowering girls to play the instrument, but the Aboriginal people were like, hey, that's not very cool. Um, so I was thinking about that too. I mean – um, you brought up about the end of last week's episode and I was like, boy, I feel like we just had this conversation a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like, where is that line? Um, and I think that, you know, in ter uh, using the didgeridoo as an example, I, I suppose that could be a slight, you could argue that, you could maybe call that as a different art, uh, discussion because the the people um, who are it's it's uh their their culture where the didgeridoo comes from they're actually saying please don't do this or something like that you know so it's they're the ones calling it but what could what what i think about is um you know we have been taught by other people what's okay and what's not and it doesn't necessarily it's mean where we're from i i think what i what what concerns me is like why do some of these genres of music fall into stereotypes and why, why is that even a thing? 
And I think historical perspective absolutely is one. And we know that there's there's genres that are tied to racial inequity. I mean, look at the blues, for example. The tradition of the blues is often about poverty and 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 about people of color, right? So I, I think about, well, okay, I mean, we you have to address that, I think, when you're talking about the blues. There's a historical perspective is you know that you have to think of here's here's the one that got me and this will be another soapbox i get on for a minute and it's because i partly just because i i got done watching a video that i'm going to reference here in a minute this is the one that's sticking in my head right now um let's talk about music theory so (laughs) uh, so first of all music theory for listeners who don't know um for how we address it is the way music is notated or how it's written. Now, notice that I'm talking about this and I'm already referring to what we call, what we would would consider the European tradition, okay? Meaning, um, we talk about, even when we teach it, theory with certain chord structures, certain, um, you know, types of rhythm, harmony, melody, whatever, that are generally based from the European tradition. So this is mostly white people, right? Um, so with that in mind, and you, I think I'm, I should actually maybe talk about this because you, you talked about it in our chat the other day. Um, since we study music theory like that, um, or we have been taught to study music theory like European tradition, when we use this lens to look at anything outside of that type of music, does it fit? And will can it be disqualifying to other types of music? So what I'm saying is, if you take European, I'm, and for lack of a better way to say it, I'm just going to say European music history or music theory, and you apply that to, say, the traditional music of China, how does that work? Because you're taking one type of cultural study and implying it on another. And I think you would, you had kind of talked about this in our chat a little bit, um, a couple days ago, Jeremy, didn't you? Yeah, I probably, I say, <laughs> I say a we lot have of a stuff. lot of talks. <laughs> let, me go, let me go back and look to see exactly what I said. Yeah, I probably um, should have mentioned that. Well, I wanted to reference it cause I thought you had a good point. And some of this is, um, while he does that, I'll say this. Some of this is because of a podcast that Jeremy shared, um, with our arts team. And, um, I went and listened to it after he did. And, um, the person that they're interviewing, uh, Adam Neely, uh, talks about this and it kind of blew my mind. And, um, it's, it it was a conversation that kind of spiraled for us because Adam (laughs) Neely talks about the fact that music is not universal, um, or, or at least not a universal language. And then it kind of goes, that's where this idea comes from. Okay. So so I'm gonna let Jeremy take over here. Yeah, yeah. So we talked about Adam's point that he's making is that uh, we always talk about music as a universal language, but uh, he's saying that it's not. And um, and here's what I wrote. I'll read exactly what I wrote. I think the point that he was getting at, Adam, uh, and where I think that I am tending to agree is that we take the universality in music and filter it through Western ears. Basically, we we impart our Western version of universal instead of being universal, kind of like a church saying we are an international denomination, but only really caring about American interests. And uh, I was thinking about that some more too, and even as you were talking, um, it's, I I think of like, uh, Okay, so there's like two multiple translations of the Bible, right? Uh, and they all work from like the same text. So I'm gonna get a little religious history here, I guess, for a second. Go off. But there's, yeah, there's there's <laughs> multiple translations of the Bible, and you could sit around in a room and you can read the same scripture, and it could all say roughly the same thing. And there's different schools of thoughts, and I won't get it's not the t- place for that, but they can all have a little bit different perspective depending on the translator or the group of translators that are working on this Bible. And so you have that, right? But then you also have 
the people who are reading the scripture themselves. And so one of the things that in my church that we participate in is a, a thing called uh, a sermon preparation group. So uh, a lot of times when pastors write a sermon, they write by themselves in a room and they knock it out. And, you know, but we have a group of people and it's, uh, it's getting more diverse. It's a group of men and women right now. It traditionally would be an all male group, but when you add these different voices into it, they're looking at the same scripture that you're looking at, but they're interpreting it totally different and even using different language to understand and to convey what they're understanding about what they're reading. And this happens through all of like literature or art. Like people can look at, like if we all look at a blue painting, you know, that blue might look a little bit different for everybody. And so it's not saying here, like, Music is universal because everybody has access to music, but the way that we understand and interpret music isn't universal. And I think that's an important distinction to make. And as we talk, and I know that there will be a lot of people that will start to, especially white people, fall into two camps here. Uh, They'll feel very guilty or they'll be defensive. (laughs) You know, like when you're saying like your whole music history is based on white supremacy, you know, like, like, okay. Like that is an extreme view to take, and and in a part it is true. So we can't not acknowledge that. But the the danger that comes, and when you get exposed to the stuff, the danger is not that the history has been built on white supremacy. The danger is that you continue in that supremacy even after you've already been exposed to the differences that people understand music. So like. If you're talking about like Chinese, like ancient Chinese music or whatever, or uh, Indonesian music or Zimbabwean music, whatever, like a culture or music from a culture that is not ours, um, and you try to explain it as best you can, but say like a, a person, a Chinese person comes up to you and says, well, actually, we describe this music as this, and it, we interpret it like this. And if you say like, no, that doesn't count because it's not, you know, the 12-tone scale, you know, like... You're actively participating in supremacy, which that's an extreme example of like actually discounting like uh, interpretations. But the danger we get in is that we get we don't even look for those differences in understanding music. We try to, like you said, look at other music and apply European music theory to it without ever considering, hey, there might be a different way to interpret this or to understand it. Let me go to the source to try to find out and understand in its context instead of saying like, oh, well, you know, I can't describe the rhythm in here, so it must be super complex, you know, but maybe it's not in their culture. You know, maybe it's not complex because it's just a part of their life. It's like rolling R's in the Spanish or, you know, Spanish language. I can't roll R's to save my life, which is awful as a singer because you sing a lot of Italian too. But um, like, that's pretty natural if you grew up with that, you know, like it's not a difficult thing. And um, I think that's where we we get in trouble. So hear us when we say that if you understand music, in a European historical context of like understanding European music and interpreting European music that way, that's okay. But you can't take that across the board and apply that to all genres of music. You can't fit a square peg into a round hole. And we try to do that a lot. Yeah. And, and we're, and we're certainly, again, I want to reinforce the point that we're not saying the European tradition is bad. There are, there are tons of great European musicians and we study their music for that reason. That's okay. It's when we try to apply um, those kind of theoretical studies onto other things. There is when you start dabbling into, uh, for lack of a better word, a supremacy issue. Um, and, and to kind of give you all an example of that, um, the gentleman we were discussing in the podcast, Jeremy shared, his name was Adam Neely and he's a YouTube content creator. Um, so shout outs to Adam Neely here. Um, he does a great video on this. Um, uh, and I believe, uh, let me check the name of the, I think it is literally called, um, music theory and white supremacy. Um, which already is quite quite the title, um, and he <laughs> yep. admits he does some clickbait uh, in the episode we listened to, but um, it, it's it's accurately named. And if I I think it's actually um, named after the paper that uh, Doctor, and I believe it's pronounced Ewell, um, wrote. So let me let me backtrack here. So Adam Neely does this video. In this video, he interviews a professor who wrote the paper, Music Theory and White, Perf- White Supremacy, named uh, Philip Ewell. 
Um, so Dr. Ewell discusses in his in this video, he discusses figured base as an example of where supremacy might lie. So just as a review, figured base is a tr- old traditional theory version of chord structure. Am I giving that justice? Hopefully. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's figured base is its own thing. The bottom line is it's an old theory tradition. Okay. From Europe. Well, this has gone on a long time. Everybody kind of teaches figured base in their classes usually. Well, Rimsky-Korsakov believed this practice was dated over 100 years ago. And he wrote that in, uh, and I didn't write down the Rimsky-Korsakov book, but he Rimsky-Korsakov wrote a theory book. And he was like, yeah, figured base is great, um, but we don't really use it anymore. Not anyway. But we still, and it was part of my college class in theory. I, I'm assuming it was part of yours. Um, it, it's it's still something that is pretty widely taught. And the question is, well, why? Well, the answer might be, and it could be uh, a little bit of supremacy here because we. And and this is not to say I want to. I want to also say this. Figured base isn't bad. It's a cool theory. It, it's it's definitely got its place in time. But if it's outdated, why are we still teaching it? And that that's Dr. Ewell's point. If, if this is really, and I mean, Rinsky-Korsakov said this was outdated 100 years ago. So why are we still doing this? Question mark? Shrugs? <laughs> yeah. It's dangerous because a lot of, like, um, we, we call them traditions, uh, you know, or traditional that can be hard to overcome. And I think the biggest thing you can take from any education curriculum is we'll get into like, what do we do as music educators? Like is understanding why we're doing anything that we're doing. Amen. And then being able to justify how that is beneficial to our students and representative of our students. Because if you, how about this? If you are, if you are a music professional like you're the top violin concerto player in the world like it will make sense for you to focus a lot on european music because that's your specialty right that's your your focus and i think uh and i don't know maybe this is just me spitballing but i think a lot of times music educators come out of school and they still think like the super uber specialist concerto player instead of a general specialist. Now, of course, there's schools that are focused and they have traditions of, you know, top honors choirs and stuff like that, or like marching bands, you know, like. Uh, but when you're talking like general music education or, or education curriculum, like we probably could be way more inclusive because we're not as hoity-toity as we often think that we are. Uh, I would say a majority <laughs> think that they are. So, Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think that kind of le- – you're leading us into our next topic here, uh, which is, well, how do we approach this as music ed- educators? How are we thinking about diversity and inclusion in our class when we know that we have some – roots in our, uh, I don't know, teaching practice and, and for us theory, stuff like that, that we know are not completely inclusive. So, you know, the first, the first question I asked under this was, well, aren't we taught a certain way? And I was thinking back to my college years and yes, we took, you know, the, our pedagogy classes where, you know, I learned how to play bassoon, not well, but I learned how to play bassoon and I took music theory and stuff. In that time, I only took one non-Western music class. And I'm. this is not a slander on my school. This is not a slander on my education program. But I was thinking about, of all the training I did, I, I only took one non-Western class. Now, fortunately for me, I... Um, I was in a, a couple different uh, groups, like side groups in college, and that gave me a little bit more perspective. I was in an African drumming ensemble. Um, I did a, um, oh my goodness, a carnival band. Oh my goodness, the name is escaping me. But basically in the Brazilian tradition, um, I was in stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I had I had these lovely perspectives, but my traditional training 
is, is this kind of European training. Was that how you found your teacher education was as well? Yeah. And I would change, I would probably change your word from, you say traditional to your formal training because there's yeah, a lot that's, of, that's a better word. Um, yes. Thank you. My formal yeah, training. Yeah. I think, and it's interesting. You just talk about like learning different instruments. I had to learn different instruments too, you know, like every music major, but since you were a instrumentalist, I'm sure you had to do all of them and I had to do some of them. Um, but like we diversify our abilities in t- learning instruments to be able to teach them. Right. And, yeah. uh, we diversify in like our classroom methods <laughs> and <laughs> it's just interesting how we, how, what we choose to diversify on. And same thing we had, we had to take one, at least one non-Western style of music. And we had three choices to choose from. They were like Afro-Caribbean, uh, that might've been an ensemble, music of Africa, Indonesia, or Japan. You know, so I took the Indonesian class, which was uh, cool. I mean, we had a guy that knew it like the back of his hand and, um, I love that class and it was cool to see probably one of the first times how, um, the idea of being a half step out of tune was a desirable effect. Yes. <laughs> then, I remember when I studied, that. studied that type of music, that idea of quarter tones too, like yeah. just everything that isn't our standard pitch base, um, it was fascinating to me, so I, I feel you on that. <laughs> yeah, and you asked this question, how do we change it up? And I think a lot about that and like what it means to make space for people. Like I, I bet, my, my guess is that if our college did not require that one non-Western class, there would be a lot of people, I, I don't want to give a percentage, but a lot of people that wouldn't take it. They would rather fill it up with like another ensemble or something else or another type of elective. So like part of this changing, I think, has to be an intentional effort by people who are in charge. So people who have the power to make it compulsory or mandatory. Uh, like so, providing that space. So they, we had to take that class to graduate, and so that was the administration saying, "You have to do this," you know. And some people get drug <laughs> kicking and screaming, and um, so I think that's that's part of it. We have to change it. And so now, if you're a teacher listening to this, like now it's on you. Like you can't trust your administration to make it happen for a lot of reasons, not because they're bad or anything, but just it's not a priority. And that's part of this is how to change it in, on the micro level. So us as teachers, we have to make it a priority and something that's intentional and at the forefront of our mind all of the time. And while that seems like a lot of work and it seems like a lot, you know, that's that's just people's realities. You know, like if we're talking just even skin color, like a black person's reality is that they're black, right? And it it seems like extra work for us to have to think about, are my black students being represented in the music that I'm presenting, right? But that's just the reality. <laughs> so we always have to be conscious of it. And then we have to make room for these experiences and exposure. So that's part of it on the micro level. If you're an administrator, like I think you have to, one, put your money where your mouth is. So if you say that diversity is important to you, and inclusion is important, then you have to like get the right people in and make the necessary changes to make it a priority. Because we've talked about this before. When we have like diversity training anywhere, like I'm sure any place you've seen, but like people will reveal that they are not cool with it, <laughs> you know, like in a public sphere. Um, so like it's going to happen. People will not like to be told that they need to diversify themselves. Um, well, and some people are just resistant um, to change, period. Yeah, and some people are resistant to change. And some of that, I think, plays into what you're saying. But so much of how we can affect change is being aware that we need to change. Yeah. And so accept that. And I think it makes things a little bit easier. And and I also will say this. As teachers, we have to think about a lot of things. When we're lesson planning – what are our, we have to think about what our objectives are, um, how we're going to present the contact, content, um, what examples are we going to present, how are we going to assess knowledge, um, are we staying with state and national standards, are we in compliance with the school's <laughs> regulations and stuff, and now we're adding another thing. Yeah. And that can be really overwhelming, but maybe even just incremental change is still better than no change at all. 
Yeah, I think that um, the thing that I struggle with, and like you pretty much just had mentioned it, is that as time goes on, there's more stuff to teach and learn, right? Just knowledge keeps growing and creation keeps growing. So like at some point you have to make a decision on what to teach. Otherwise, like it becomes very shallow. So, um, which, you know, could be a good or bad thing depending on the particular class, but like it's, it's can be very spread out when you try to include everybody into everything. And so this is like an admitted struggle. So to decide what to, like you said, assess and judge and grow, especially if you don't know stuff yourself, but uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head is starting small and starting wherever you're at. So you have, you know, you can't change historical facts. You're right. Like, uh, we can't change that, but like little changes that you can make can reveal other facts, such as like the first black composer of classical music, like actually existed during the classical era. But I never learned about uh, the Chevalier de Saint George. You know, I never learned about him in any, and he is an important and influential and like an amazing classical music figure, right? So. Like, you don't have to change. Like, if this seems like I'm not telling you to blow up your curriculum. (laughs) Don't be like, don't be like, I gotta blow everything up. But (laughs) you can, like, where you're at, you can already take what you're teaching and just include diversity. You know, like, if you look for it, it will be there. And then look at your times too. You know, I just redid our course schedule and like outline. I didn't redo it, I was outlining it and looking to see, like, how much time do we spend in each uh, genre? You know, like, and we're pretty even. We've done a pretty good job of evening them out. But look at, like, how much time you're spending in if you're a general music teacher in each genre. But And how much time you're giving to people that are different. It, I, I promise you it will be okay if you choose music from somebody that is not one of the greats. <laughs> you know, yes. you're going to be okay. That be okay. That should be, like, the poster statement, I think. Right now, because there is and this is maybe not necessarily related to diversity inclusion, but there is so much music out there and we are so lucky to have access to it. It's okay to salt and pepper things with people who don't look the same. Like just just put little bits in it. You don't even have to do a ton in, in the world, <laughs> you know. You know? <laughs> Start small because this can be really overwhelming. And and I mean, even just making this, I, I just felt very overwhelmed. Even just writing all my thoughts down on this, so I can at least understand where these are. You know what we're talking about. It's it's very big. You know, <laughs> so so do some bite sized chunks if yeah. needed. Yeah, you know? and yeah. Do some bite-sized chunks. That's good. Speaking of food, I think of like uh, you know, like when you're changing your diet. And I've ever gotten like a, a diet plate, and I, I've gotten some of these from like Weight Watchers type things. But it's like it's the division. Like this shows how much you should eat of each <laughs> food type, right? Fractional and, food, <laughs> right? Yeah, fraction. Basically, <laughs> and you look at this plate, and you're like, oh my gosh, like meat is only like a quarter of the plate. And I notice this a lot too when. Um, we were vegetarian for like a, a year and a half, My our family was. And um, just like how much Americans love meat. And like it is – it blows my mind how much people eat meat as like – you can't have a meal. Basically, it's not a complete meal unless you have some form of meat with it. You know, like if you say, hey, let's have a vegetarian dish tonight, people get weird about that stuff. And I think – like that's kind of like it is in music. Like you can say, "Hey, you don't have to have Mozart in every single performance that you do." People will be like, "Oh my gosh!" You know, like what <laughs> is blown wrong? their mind <laughs> entirely. Are <laughs> yeah. you doing new music? You don't have to have like John Cage or uh, Eric Whitaker as a choir teacher. You know, like you don't have to have an Eric Whitaker piece every everywhere. And that just goes to prove, like, start small and with this vast buffet of music that people have been learning and teaching and creating uh you know it's out there you just have to do some work absolutely yeah i love that you brought it back to food because we can i know we have to we gotta do it it's been a while we (laughs) haven't talked about food um so yeah definitely add some of those things add some 
green beans to your curriculum. There you go. <laughs> that's right. Um, so that, that tells you, like, what can we do? So I, let's go to the second. What can we do to make music more diverse and inclusive? So you put some things down here. What do you think we should do? Well, I think we need to shut up and listen. Um, and <laughs> I, I don't mean to be so crass about it, but I kind of do mean to be crass about it. I'm... I am not an expert in this, and I, I will I will say that forever. Um, I am a I am a cis middle aged white woman. Um, this is not my area of expertise, um, so I'm really trying to make a conscious effort to learn and to just be aware that you know I'm I am my formal training is in that kind of Western tradition. So what does that look like when I'm learning new things? Um, so being aware of that, you know, just trying to listen. Um, I was telling Jeremy that before this, I was watching that the uh, Music Theory and White Supremacy video. Um, I've been watching it, and it has got me wound. Like, and I didn't know half of these things, and it just blew my brain. And now, like, I'm spiraling, and my brain is making connections, and synopses are firing, firing, and all that stuff. <laughs> um, so, I think just just learning and being a, acknowledging where you are, so that you can grow. Um, I also talk about gatekeeping. And I think this one should be obvious, but I thought maybe um, you'd want, maybe you could talk to us a little bit about gatekeeping and why gatekeeping is not a good idea. <laughs> so, <laughs> For, and okay. I'm putting it oversimplified, but. <laughs> right. Uh, do not gatekeep. Um, yeah, like, well, this is the way I interpreted your gatekeeping is we can't be, like I said earlier, we have this great privilege of educating our youth. Um, so, like, we can't gatekeep and say, like, this is the only real style of music. And yes. Teachers are guilty of this, like, oh, Justin Bieber sucks. Well, you know, like, Justin Bieber's cool. Like, I'm a Bieber fan. But, you know, like, you know, Taylor Swift isn't real music. Or I like every music except hip-hop, which isn't music. But, like, pump the brakes for a second. You know, like, these are all very real styles of music. And you'll hear, like, all the way back to probably our first episode about the philosophy of music is, I always say, what is music? <laughs> you know, like, what... What is music even? And uh, gatekeeping can really go back to even that virtuoso violin player we talked about earlier of like, this is the only real style of music. And as you're talking about learning, Daphne, and being exposed to all these different um, viewpoints about what music is and these viewpoints of history of how music has been shaped, is um, we can even gatekeep that knowledge in a sense of like, uh, I've learned that our music is Eurocentric, you know? So, like, I've learned that uh, old white men dominate music. So now I'm going to learn about black composers. And then so now as a white person, I'm only exp – like, I'm just saying, like, oh, the only good black ones or you know, like, just these little things as you learn more and become more uh, woke, quote-unquote. Uh, the danger of gatekeeping can be that you gatekeep the voices of people – that actually have experience and knowledge in that because you have to overcompensate for your uh, your guilt or your shame or whatever, you know, like, so you even gatekeep the voices. So really as you're learning, as you're learning what you don't know, like the object shouldn't be to speak more always, which is funny because we're on a podcast talking about this, right? <laughs> we're just sharing our experiences. Yeah. But like the goal shouldn't be to speak more. It should be, to really, like you said, be quiet more and listen and then bring in experts. You know what I mean? Like if they're yeah. like we, we are trained musical experts, you and I, okay, apparently, right? And we play one like, on TV. That's right. And if somebody <laughs> says, We need I want to ask you about music. You're our music expert. I'd be like, You're right. I am generally a music expert. Um but I wouldn't say it's like those old Holiday Inn commercials. Like, are you a doctor? No, but I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. You know, like, or I played one on TV. Like, yeah. it's that same thing. As you learn more, you can't gatekeep the profession even, or the old curriculums that you have always taught, or what real music is. It's more about recognizing that there are other people that can swim in the pool too, and just you know, getting out for them. Yeah, I think, you know, you said something very, very wise just now. I, you know, when I wrote that gatekeeping comment, my initial um, thought to that was don't gatekeep actual music. <laughs> yeah. um, but you you had kind of 
talked about also don't gate don't gatekeep voices that are important in sharing music. And I hadn't really thought about that until you said that. So I'd like to point out that that was a really good point. And I would like to uh, double down and say that's part of my point (laughs) uh, because I think you're correct on that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So um, and then just be an advocate. I mean, this this goes for so many things. I feel like we we're teaching kind of bigger life lessons here, maybe. But, (laughs) you know, be an advocate, promote um, any type of performance community in your excuse me, performance group in your community. You know, if you've got a, um, you know, an Indonesian gamelan in your community, promote it, go see it, learn about it, figure it out. Um, and then per- push for diverse music selections from groups you might um, try and frequent and, and watch. Uh, I know it's a little bit weird in this day and age, but if you are a fan of a local group, maybe they can uh, play different types of music. Yeah, I think as you are advocating and supporting different groups, I think it is like show up too, you know, like go yourself and share what – you like I think I, I just took this professional based learning uh, a project based learning professional development and one of the things that I really got out of it was um, you know you're sharing what you who you are as a teacher like you should be authentic and yes. um, you should share like the world the way this the, or what you're teaching basically is how you view the world which I thought was a fascinating thing that has been stuck with me for a while of like I'm teaching music because I view the world through a musical lens, right? That's how I interact with the world. And so as you're trying, as you're learning and you're not gatekeeping and you're trying to advocate, well, like if you don't show up uh, at least some of the time, you know what I mean? Like then you're, what you're saying is it's not really that important to me. And so it's, it's that whole thing. There's larger life lessons you're talking about, about leading by example and, and um, advocating sometimes just by yourself so other people can see you. Kids will pick up way quicker than adults will. Amen. I'm a firm believer in being who you are when you teach. Um, I'm a hardcore believer. Look, I'm a video game geek. I'm a board game geek. I'm a giant football fan, and my kids know it. Um, I'm a goofball, (laughs) and my my students know it. Um, And and I know I'm just talking about personality there, but, you know – being authentic who you are is such an important tool um, to being, I think, an effective educator. Absolutely. Um, And I will say I am really excited. Jeremy got to take the PBL course before me. I'm taking the PBL course in a couple of weeks. (laughs) So maybe when I get done with my course, maybe we'll come in, maybe we'll do an episode on that too. There we go. Perfect. um, Once I get done with that training. Um, So yeah. And then finally, um, just teach diverse music. If you're a music teacher, teach diverse music. We talked about that quite (laughs) inextensively a little bit ago, but I would challenge other educators who might be joining us, um, you know, figure out in your content area where you can be diverse. You know, we're talking about sharing composers and, uh, that are diverse and music that is diverse. That's how we can put that into the universe because music is our content area, but maybe a science teacher has a different way that they can do that or, um, you know, an English teacher has a different way that you can do that. We obviously are not content specialists outside of music, so we don't know what yeah. that looks like for you. But f- I challenge you to find a way to be diverse in your curriculum because it only makes us and your students stronger when you do that. Yeah, I agree 100%. And just to cap it off before you close this out of – this is obviously Black History Month, so some of you might say, well, you're only talking about this now because it's Black History Month, and I would challenge you to go back through our episodes and listen. Uh, I hope that we try to do our best to represent different styles of music, and it comes through in our education, I hope. You know, I'm aware of it a lot of times, but um, I said this in another podcast that I host about, like, this is the prime time to get all of these resources. Like, February is a month, as you started at the very beginning, dedicated and set aside to celebrate and to honor black history, specifically if we're talking about uh, black music and African-American music. And um, this is the prime time to get all of that, but it's not the only time 
to teach it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like point. going to the grocery store. I was just like reductionary, but like I go to the grocery store once or twice a month, or sorry, once a week or once every other week. As I say, you have children, and, you're going, yeah, you're sure. going often. <laughs> so I stock up, right? And that that sustains me and it lasts me. I don't just say like, well, we're out of food. You know, like I went to the grocery store once. I'm good to go. No, that would be silly and dumb and stupid. And same way I think with like approaching education is February is the only time to approach different cultures, especially black culture and music. So as you get these resources, use them and filter them through like the whole year. And I bet you your kids will be a lot more thankful, especially those who see themselves constantly represented throughout all of your curriculum and throughout the whole school year, because it will show that it's not just like a inconvenient four-week thing that you have to do and build a curriculum around it. Um, So take this time, honor this month specifically, but get resources. And here's my warning to my fellow uh, white people. So if you will allow me just to get super social justice for a minute, you don't have to ask your black friends how to teach black music, okay? Okay. there's an episode of Blackish. At the end of the episode, he sings that Google is your friend. And I'm going to encourage you that Google is your friend. And there are a lot of resources that are already out there. And as us, as including diversity, us with the power seats of teachers and, in our case, white people, we have the power and ability to make the changes. Uh, and we've provided resources in the show notes for you to look at to get started to try to hopefully broaden your horizons. But um it's never ending and it's not just one day a year or one month in a year, right? Your students and we're talking, as I say this, I'm talking to myself and to you, Daphne. So listen, you're just along for this ride. Like our students are still going to be from different cultures outside of that one day or that one month. Yes. <laughs> so you always have to be diversifying. And that's my last soapbox for today. No, I appreciate that soapbox. I think you said it very well. And, um, you know, the, <sighs> You're right. At the beginning of the episode, I said maybe I'm inspired by, you know, uh, the fact that it's February and it's Black History Month. And maybe so. But it planted the seed. Maybe the month planted the seed, but it's my job now to make it grow. And so, um, you know, that's, I guess, maybe where I'll leave it for now. And, And just to remind everybody, I guess I will say this too. We are not experts on this. I hope we did this content justice. I really... It's very important to me that we don't screw this up. And so um, we really tried not to, and we'll continue to, you know, try not to. And we might make mistakes along the way, but we appreciate you just listening. And especially me, I'm great. I'm definitely grateful to you, Jeremy, today and to all of you listeners, because this this just ended up like the way that I saw this episode going, I really wanted to address stuff. And I just ended up with more questions. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Um because then at least they're getting asked. So thanks for coming along. Um, We definitely will do more podcasts uh, starting next week and do more probably on these topics and stuff. But um, if you want to respond to anything or just reach out to us, don't forget that we are on Twitter at OHVA music. Um, If you're a student of ours, we haven't said this in a while. If you're a student of ours, all of our contact information is in the classroom. You know how to get a hold of us. But if you want to uh, speak to Jeremy directly, he is on Twitter at Jeremy P. England. And of course, you can go to our website, um, anchor.fm forward slash OHVA music. Thank you all so much for joining us and we will see you next week.